Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Bristow. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we jump into James, um, I would like to acknowledge and, and honor the men and women who have served in the United States Armed Forces today. Tomorrow is Veterans Day, and we celebrate them there. But we at Vineyard of the Rockies want to celebrate um, and, and honor you. So if you have served in the United States Armed Forces, I'd like you to stand. Thank you. I didn't know that. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Remain standing. We want to remain standing. We want to pray for you. Lord, we thank you for these men and women who have have, uh, uh, served you, who have protected us, who have served us. Thank you for their their sacrifice, Lord. And we just, we know that that some of them still uh, have the, 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 the woundings on their bodies and on their spirits, and we ask for continued um, healing for them. We thank you, Lord, uh, for their service. And Lord, we ask you to bless them this Veterans Day weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, um, we are in the book of James, and as our... our um, lead pastor has so eloquently said, it's a butt kicker. <laughs> it's been a butt kicker. It has been for me. We've been experiencing James' uh, challenging words. Uh, he's been confronting us. And today is no different. James, just right out of the gate, says, who is wise and understanding among you? And, so, and that's a question for you. Who, who is wise? Who of you would consider yourselves wise and, and understanding? Um, what would you say to that? <clears throat> and what does wisdom mean for you? What does being wise mean for you? What does that being wise mean to me? Uh, I'm, you know, honestly, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure what that means for me, and that might be true for you. You may not be sure what, what wisdom means means and so I think we should just stop for a minute and ask someone who knows that they're wise. Well Mr Mr. Wise Old Owl here, he, he's not confused about his wisdom. He is the the symbol of wisdom in the Western world. And the you know that's quite an achievement uh, for him. Hey, speaking of wise old owls, does anybody know why the owl is wise? Anybody? Why not, you know, seriously, why not the pelican? You know, the wise old pelican, or why not the, the wise old flamingo, you know? How, they don't quite capture. Why is that? This is why. The owl can see in the dark, and that's what makes him wise. Interesting, right? Goes clear back to ancient Greece, where there were lots of owls in ancient Greece. Who knew, right? In, in Athens. And the owls would roost in the rafters of the Parthenon, which was the, the Greek temple of wisdom, the, the, the goddess of wisdom um, lived there. And, and there were all these owls and the wise old Greeks noticed that the owl can see in the dark. So, so, you know, when the rest of the animal kingdom is kind of, you know, stumbling around in the, in the darkness of night, the wise old owl is operating as if it's day. Interesting. See, the Greeks knew, the wise Greeks knew that, that the world is dark. It's a dark place. It just is. And uh, it's dark morally. 
It's dark spiritually. And what we really need to do is to be able to see in the darkness, to know what to do. And that is wisdom. Regular people like you and I, we're kind of bumbling around in the dark trying to find our way. You know, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to go to the restroom, you know, and, and uh, you don't want to turn on the light because your spouse might be, you know, might awaken, but the real reason is that you're too lazy to, to turn on the light and you don't want your eyes to bug out, you know, so, and then you bump into that sharp corner of the dresser, you know that one that jumped right in front of you, you know, you could have sworn it wasn't there, but anyway, um, that's kind of, that's kind of what it's like. We're, 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 um, uh, uh, living in, 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 a, in a dark place. And we need to be able to see in the light, in the dark. And I just think, man, isn't that true for us? I mean, uh, we, uh, we know it's dark. We know it's confusing. We need God's solutions, like in the details of our lives. And, and um, I've noticed this in moving back into the culture after over a decade of being out of the culture that there's just a lot of anxiety in our culture. It's on the radio, right? It's just here. And, and um, <clears throat> one of the reasons is, is there's just so much change happening in our culture. There's uh, just the economy and the job market is changing so rapidly with jobs going away and being automatized and then new jobs, new job skills needing to be learned and we don't even know what those are. You know, and we really need God's wisdom to be able to navigate the choppy waters of the future in this culture. Um, but I think more profound than that is the, 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 the culture's values changing as we see this rapid secularization of our culture. And um, we, are, we are personally being affected by that. We just are. We need God's wisdom to be able to navigate those choppy waters. And, and, and the truth is, is that we're very much affected by that. We're changing. As our culture is changing, we're changing. <clears throat> the bottom line is that we need to be able to see in the dark. We need wisdom. And that's exactly what we're looking at today. Um, we, are, we are looking at uh, the wisdom from above. The, the title of this sermon is Wisdom from Above. Pray with me. Lord, we uh, um, are just, we just find ourselves in a precarious place in 2019 and we all have challenges and it's daunting and it does, it does feel dark. And Lord, we just pray that you would soften our hearts right now for your word, that you, the, the, the good farmer would plant seeds in our hearts through your word today. And that we, we would be able to begin to see in the dark and to see you be, used, be used by you. So, Lord, would you be on this message? Would you be on my tongue as I speak your word, Lord? And, and um, we invite your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So James is saying that Christian wisdom is something that you do. That Christian wisdom is a behavior. 
that, that, um, that, that Christian wisdom is something that you show in your life. It's like light shining in the darkness. Um, Christian wisdom is not a floaty idea. You know, it's not a belief. It's not a, a, a spiritually floaty thing. Christian wisdom is a concrete behavior in your life that when people see it, they know if you have wisdom. You don't have to ask, you know, do I have wisdom? I'm not sure. I don't know. What, what does it mean? You know, ask Mr. Owl. No, you, they see it. You know, it's, it's a concrete behavior. They, they see that wisdom. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Isn't that interesting? That's almost exactly what James just said. I mean, word for word, almost. And, and why is that such a big deal to, to Jesus and to James? Why is, you know, good deeds, why is that such a big deal? Well, this is, this is why it's such a big deal, is that, is that your good life is the way that God shines his light and his mercy in, and compassion into a dark world where people are bumbling and stumbling around in their own darkness. That's the church. <laughs> that would be us. John Wimber used to say, the church, us, is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. That's our job, folks. And uh, um, um, we are to reflect God's image into the world. That's what we're reflecting. We are to reflect God's picture. You might say a picture. And, and, and that's our job. And you know what? That's kind of a heavy deal. Um, so I think at this, point, at this point, what we really need to do is ask Mickey Mouse what he thinks about this. Look at this picture of Mickey Mouse. This is kind of a spoof on the Norman Rockwell illustration of a self-portrait. But what's going on here is Mickey is, is drawing his self-portrait. He's drawing a picture of himself. <clears throat> and instead, Mickey, instead of having like a, a photo of himself taped on the wall, he's got a mirror propped against the wall and he looks he looks at the mirror to be able to draw himself and all that is reflected is his creator, Walt Disney. Now, it's not a perfect metaphor because uh, you aren't Mickey Mouse and God isn't Walt Disney, but you get the point that, that what is to be reflected with, through our lives is our creator. Um, that's, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. And, and the reason that James is so intense about this and has been intense, right, through the series is that when we're not living a good life, when we're not living an obedient life, when we're not living a surrendered life, um, nobody will see their creator They'll never see it. And, and, it's, and, 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 it's, and we're it. 
<laughs> if, if, we're, if we're not doing that, it's not happening. And I think that's why James is so intense about this. Actually, I think James is shocked. Pastor James, he's just shocked. And, uh, and I think God's heartbroken. I think it goes really deep when, when we're not doing that. So, so this is what's happening in the text today. <laughs> James is setting out two separate paths for us. He's, he's separating, uh, he, he's, he's, he's setting out two different operating systems, you might say, out of which we operate. One is the wisdom of this world, and the, and the other is the wisdom from above. And he's putting that out there for us, and that's really what we're grappling with today. That's what, we're, that's what this is about. Um, so, so let's dive in. We're, we're looking at the first path. The first operating system is the wisdom of the world. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual and demonic. So this is what's going on with us, like right now. This is what's going on in the church right now. The world is rubbing off on us. That's what's going on with, with all this cultural change. Um, see, the world, the secular world, is, is the cultural, sociological, and spiritual force on the earth. And it has invaded and continues to invade the church. That would be us. And what's happening is that Christian disciples are adopting the wisdom of the world and operating out of that. That's becoming their default operating system. That's what's going on. Um, and, and that's what the world sees. And they're going, hey, they're, they're no different than we are. Let, let me give you an example of how that works. <clears throat> when Jamie and I were pastoring in the Middle East, um, we saw the, the world rubbing off on the Christian believers. Um, we, we began to notice that the evangelical Arab Christian believers, they, they'd drive up to the church or if we were having, we had a, a, a class, a marriage class at a house, uh, they'd drive up to the house, they'd get out of the car and then, and then the man would be like 20 feet ahead of his wife and, and they, would, they would walk down the street and they wouldn't talk to each other and they wouldn't look at each other and they wouldn't interact and then the man would walk into the church and then, and then their wife would follow. And... Uh, and that's an example of the world rubbing off on the church. Those men, they didn't mean to diss their wives. It's just what the culture dictated. The, in, in, in the Middle East, the, uh, uh, in Jordan anyway, the street is the domain of the man, not the woman. The woman is not welcome on the street, not welcome to, to walk down the street. So the only time they really can comfortably is with their husband. And when they do, they have to be 20 feet in back. And, and the man is kind of strutting down the sidewalk and the wife is kind of not strutting down the sidewalk, kind of submissive. And that's just how it is. And so, so one of the things you'd have to teach is like, you know what? Uh, God values men and women the same. There, there's different roles, of course, but there's, the values 
the same. The love is the same. And so when you walk down the sidewalk, you walk together and you talk and you honor each other and you enter the church building together. That's an example of the church rubbing off on uh, the, the world rubbing off the church and having to reteach that. Just that, just walking down the sidewalk. It's interesting. Um, that's what's happening to us. And um, we just kind of have to file that away. So, so, so what does this look like for the greater church? What does it look like to be in this situation, which we are in? What does that look like in the greater church? Specifically, what does jealousy and selfish ambition look like for, for us in the greater church? <clears throat> well, the, it looks like this. Worldly wisdom in the church is results-oriented, not relationally-oriented. That's, 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 that's how it just is. Um, back back uh, when I was in seminary, I met a fascinating guy. He was the first convert... And, and, and person who actually lived for Christ from the island of Yap. You didn't know there was an island of Yap, did you? I love that, the island of Yap. And it's in the South Pacific. And I was kind of, I was kind of intrigued because I knew from, the, from my studies that like the missionaries had been to you know, like Samoa, which is near the island of Yap, like in the 1830s or something. You know? So I, I just saw there'd never been any missionaries there. He said, well, yeah, I mean, recently there were, there were missionaries. They came, um, but they, were, they weren't relationally oriented. They, they were results oriented. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, when they came, they met with individuals and groups on, on our island, and they asked one question, is Jesus Christ your Lord? <laughs> and he said, we were so honored that the missionaries came to our island that we, of course, wanted to honor them back. So we said, yes, of course. And so... Man, they were converting that island faster than you can believe, you know. And after, after about, you know, three, four months, they'd completely gotten all their data and, uh, and, and they left for good. <laughs> and boy, did those missionaries look good. They wrote books. They got it written up in Christian magazines. You know, they had converted, converted a whole people group, you know, in four months. And they talked at conferences and they got standing ovations. And you know what? Their whole enterprise was one big lie. There were no changed lives. Those islanders didn't know Jesus. They, didn't, they weren't taught how to live for Jesus. They didn't know any of those missionaries. They were still bound up by their fear of the demons of the jungle, still bound up by the fear of the demons of the ocean, still bound up by the demons of the sand, all of it. They were just, they were just locked up. And, and man, I mean, that's kind of that's um, tough. You know, you just wonder, so how does that happen? Does that happen in the church? Yes, it does. How does that happen? Well, the missionaries' uh, jealousy to be more effective than the other missionaries that are sent out to other parts of the world. Um, and the missionaries' selfish ambition to look good as a missionary um, made a mockery of the gospel. It made a mockery of Jesus, really. It's because the missionaries put results even spiritual results uh, ahead of relationship. They put programs ahead of people. 
And you know, that's, that has never been who we are at Vineyard of the Rockies. And, and, and moving forward, it absolutely is not. I'm, I'm, I am so excited about our future. But it can be individually, and, and it is individually. What does that look like when, um, when jealousy and selfish ambition kind of attack us in, uh, individually? Worldly wisdom in the church is self-oriented, not God-oriented. Um, so in my life, this is what it looks like. I have to prove myself. Like, all the time. That's what's running me. It's proving myself so that I can look good. It looks like um, um, I always have to pr- uh, produce results to justify myself. Justify myself in my job, in, in my family, in my, in my life. That's how the world has rubbed off on my life. And uh, it kind of works when I do good because then, you know, I look kind of good. But when I don't do good, then what am I? Well, that's no way to live the Christian life because it isn't the Christian life. The wise of the law would say to me, you know what, you're not shining light into the into the darkness, your darkness itself. That's not good news. Let's look at our text again. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. How about you? Are you leaning into the, the wisdom of this world? Are you tapping into that wisdom as your operating system? Striving to prove yourself? Striving for results? It's tough stuff. I think the way, I think the place to start with that is, is, uh, is just this. Eat what's on your plate now. Don't be jealous for, for, somebody, for, for, for what somebody else has on their plate that's sitting next to you. Just, just, just eat what's on your plate, what God's put on your plate. You know, at my house, we, we, my little daughter is, sits at the end of the table and she has her, her brother and, and her other brother on either side. And, 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 and a lot of times she'll look at her plate and then she'll look at like Dylan's plate and she'll want Dylan's food. It's exactly the same food. I mean, it's exactly the same number of like chickens and rice or whatever. <laughs> but she wants that chicken. You know, she wants that. Don't do that. <laughs> Eat what's on your plate. <laughs> and sometimes, uh, in our selfish ambition, we just want more and more food. So, so we've got you know, a helping. Well, I want, I want like seconds and thirds and fourths, like right now, just right on top of my, 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 my helping. Just, just pile it right up, you know? Like, what? You know, it's like being at the restaurant. I'll have the whole left side of the menu on one plate. Just pile it right up. Because I want more and more and more. Because he has, he has more than I do. Selfish ambition. That's a crazy, that's a crazy 
illustration, but it's, it, it's the craziness that, that we, we live in. Um, so we want more and more, we want better and better, and we haven't eaten what's on our plate. <clears throat> what happens in that, I mean, it's a crazy metaphor, but what we do is we plant disorder. It's kind of a spiritual disorder. He's, verse 16, for where you have envy and spirit, selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Those missionaries in Yap sowed uh, spiritual disorder because they were, I mean, those poor people from Yap, they were expecting something and they just left them. Spiritual disorder. Don't do that. Okay, so now what we're going to do is we're going to pivot. James pivots right here. And now we're looking at the second path, the second operating system. That is wisdom from above. Let's look at this. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, first of all, is pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere. This is seeing in the dark, folks. This is shining God's light and mercy and compassion into a dark world where they're bumbling and stumbling around in the, their own darkness. This is how people will see their creator. <clears throat> when we become pure, when we become peace-loving, when we become considerate, we become this. We don't just sort of plop it on our head. We are transformed in this. So the question is, well, how does this happen? So let's look at the first one, pure. How do, how do you do pure? What, what does that look like? You know, I'm going to be pure, I'm going to be pure, you know, moral effort. No, of course not. <laughs> this is how you become pure. One thing, worship the king. And it's all about how you worship the king. This is how. We worship him and him alone. We don't worship Jesus plus something, even good things. We don't worship Jesus plus the church or Jesus plus my small group, as great as those things are. Or whatever else you lop in there, you know, Jesus plus being a dedicated Democrat or, you know, <laughs> Jesus plus being a great homeschooling mom. No, it's him and him alone. And why is that so important? He grabs our heart because we worship him and him alone because that's when, that's the tipping point when we begin to start to become like him. Which is the only way a dying world is gonna see their creator. When we are changed from the inside and we, and we become pure and all of those contaminants start just sort of falling off of us because that's the definition of purity. No contaminants. It's actually, it's a metallurgy term. When there's pure gold, it has integrity. It's 100% gold. And that's what we're talking about. God wants you to have integrity. He wants you to let yourself, he wants to create purity in your life. The second thing is uh, uh, peace-loving. How, how do we do peace-loving? You know, do we just 
strive. Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to have peace. I'm going to peace. I'm going to have peace until it kills me. You know, I'm going to love peace. <laughs> no, of course not. That's stupid. <laughs> how do we do peace loving? How do we do, how do we, how do we become um, peace loving? This is how. Stop fighting God. Stop fighting against God in those different areas of your life. Stop it. Just stop it. Just stop striving with God. You're not going to beat him. <laughs> it always ends badly. Stop striving with God. Stop trying to prove yourself to God. You know, you've been justified by faith. So what are you trying to prove? You're already justified. What peace means is the cessation of war, the stopping of war. That's the definition of peace. And what's happened is the war is done when you've accepted Jesus into your life. You're not fighting. You're not at war. You're at peace. That's what that means, peace with God. Peace isn't a feeling. It's the cessation of war. And you're not at war with him. So chill out. You know, you're at peace with God. And when you became a Christian, you accepted his, him into your heart. Your, his spirit has come to reside here. And so you have peace in, in you. And what happens is we begin to love his ways. We, love the, we learn to love the ways of, his, of peace. That's why we're at peace. We love it. We've tasted his kindness, haven't we? And it's good. And we're learning to love his ways. And that's how we become peace loving. <clears throat> and when, we, when we're being transformed in purity and in peace, then, then our lives just change. We're, we become considerate. We become self-aware. And when we're self-aware, we become aware of others' feelings. And we're, not, we're no longer toxic. We're no longer sarcastic. We're no longer snarky. We're considerate. In all contexts, we become submissive. We're submissive to others and to God. That's what Jesus did. He didn't have to go to the cross, but he submitted to the will of God and, and freed us. He became submissive, even unto death. We become full of mercy and good fruit. We're compassionate. We, take, we, we become compassionate for people. You know, not everybody starts at the same uh, starting line in life. Some people start way back here. And you know what? We need to have compassion for those people that are sometimes difficult, maybe at the office or maybe neighbors. We become compassionate people. We become impartial. You know, there's disputes everywhere, at home, at work, everywhere. We, we uh, honor both sides in a dispute. We honor others' opinions, even when they're not our own. And we don't have to champion our own. We become sincere. We, we, we operate out of our true self, not our false self. When we operate out of our false self, we're, we're, we're operating out of the world. We're operating out of sin. But when we operate out of our true self, Jesus is Lord. And even if it doesn't feel right, it is right because we know the truth and everyone knows the truth. We're without excuse. So, so James says, James says, hey, uh, that's what wisdom looks like. That list, that list, that's wisdom. 
<laughs> you know, it's interesting. If, if, if you look at the leaders of our culture, dang, right? The political leaders, the business leaders, the bankers, the, uh, the, the media leaders, yikes. They, they would not see this as wise, right? They would, they, actually, they'd laugh at that. <clears throat> at best, they, they, they'd say, you know, that, that's just naive. Operating out of that, that's just naive. That's just weak. You want to be weak? Phew. You know, that's just incompetent. You know what? That would not be a good hire. Somebody like that, probably not a good hire. Not tough enough. But that's what they said about Jesus. That's what the world said about Jesus. He was naive. He was weak. He was an incompetent Messiah. Died on the cross for crying out loud. But they don't know better because they're walking in the darkness. They can't see in the dark. They just don't know. This is what Jesus said. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Be a wise old owl. Learn uh, to see in the dark. Let's pray.